as you find your seats, uh, let's open our Bibles and go with me now uh, to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming around you and just get their attention. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you, or uh, you can follow along with us on the Bible app, and we are in 2 Timothy, not 1st, okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, and uh, we are continuing to preach through our six distinctives as a church. This is uh, really important that we get these things down. I've got these for you on the screen. These are the things that we are committed to together uh, pursuing as a church. These things just have to be true of us. Fervent prayer, passionate worship, bold preaching, courageous evangelism, purposeful disciple making, and strategic church planting. This are, these are the distinctives of a worshiping and sending church because the vertical worship of our God propels the horizontal advancement of the mission. We send you out to take the gospel to the nation. So in this, we're just kind of going for clarity. This is what a worshiping and sending church looks like, focusing in on our DNA and what makes us tick. And uh, so last week, um, Phil did just an absolutely incredible job of preaching on passionate worship. And so today we are on this bold preaching, bold preaching. Some of the most important words that you hear every single Sunday here at Harvest is Let's open our Bibles together. In fact, I've said we just need to hear those words. And if you stop hearing those words here, then you stop coming to this church. Got it? It's that important. We just need to be opening our Bibles. And one of the reasons why I want to do this and go over this uh, together at Harvest uh, is to encourage you uh, to be vigilant in making sure that this is happening here at this post every week. That, that I'm doing it, that any of the men that are asked to stand here understand the privilege and the responsibility of preaching the Bible. Got it? Um, I love doing this. In fact, um, I know that when, I, when, when, when you're a kid, um, inevitably everybody asks you, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when I was a kid, uh, shocker, um, the thing that, that I always said, I don't know why, but I just always wanted to be a pastor. And um, when I was about nine, maybe ten years old, around that age, uh, my first job was delivering newspapers. Uh, do we have any, any, any other paper boys in here? Okay, just, just no, no, any, anybody? Yes, we got a paper boy in here. So, so I loved my job. It was, a, it was a really fun job. And, and, and here's how this would work. I would ride my bike to my paper route, and I had one street, and, and I had this like bag that would go over me with all my papers in front, and I actually had to walk them up, because I would, I, I would stick the papers on people's porch, or in their screen door, or wherever it was that they wanted their papers, and I'd walk up and down the street every day after school. It was the same thing, uh, day after day, the same routine. It kind of got mindless after a while, and so uh, at times, while I was delivering my newspapers, uh, because I was dreaming, right? I would actually practice preaching out loud, all right? And um, uh, I know that's kind of a super nerdy thing to do, and it's probably why some people gave me a really good Christmas tip. They're like, man, this poor kid, he just like walks up and down the street talking to himself all day. 
And uh, by the way, that's not weird, okay? It's not weird. In fact, to this day, I still practice preaching out loud. Uh, You may not have wanted to know how the sausage was made, but by the time that I am preaching to you, um, I have already uh, practiced preaching this thing out loud multiple times, and uh, I have probably preached to the bookshelves in my office and the chairs at my kitchen table. In fact, my wife jokes with me that hopefully by now they're all saved. Um, But that's just the way I do it, okay? And so I remember even as a kid practicing preaching as a paper Boy, and, and my paper route was actually on the street um, where my church was. And so I remember one time going in to talk to my pastor. And I got a picture of him. This is uh, my pastor, Pastor Dernlin. And I love this man. He, he's uh, such an influential man in my life. He's so faithful to preaching God's word. In fact, now he lives in uh, Delaware. And so this was us last year. I got a chance to go meet up with him in Baltimore. Just so encouraging. Love this man. And I remember, uh, mind you, I'm like 9, 10 years old. I remember going in to talk to Pastor Dernlin and tell him, listen, if you ever need anybody to fill in for you, I'm ready. And I'm, I'm not talking like, I'm, I'm like, now, okay? Not like I need to go off to seminary and get ready. I am ready now. And I kind of had to, as I was thinking about this, I just kind of like laughed at myself this week because I can't even imagine what I would do if a fourth and fifth grader. That's basically like my son Judah walking up like, Dad, you can take the week off, man. I got this. I'm like, I'm ready to bring it, all right? And I, I, it's kind of funny to me. But um, as I think about those early years, I think God was instilling in me a heart to do this. And uh, more than two decades later, um, even though I certainly feel the burden and the weight of difficulty of this task more than ever, it still fires me up to do this. I love this privilege. But the reason that I am preaching today is not just out of some sense of um, living the dream or uh, self-fulfillment. Because when I went off to Bible college, everything changed. And I think I've shared with this, this with you before, um, but at that time in my life, I was pretty convinced that I was God's gift to the church. And um, that I, w- I, was, I was smart, and I was a, I was a good kid, and I, and I was gifted, and I was going in the right direction. I was going to rock the world. And God rocked me in my first uh, semester of Bible college, and I had kind of uh, put myself up on this pedestal, and, and, and God just kicked me right off of that thing. I was a um, self-righteous hypocrite. I knew how to play the game and look the part and, and say the right things on the outside, but a lot of it was just not really true in my life. It kind of caught up to me. And I remember um, just being broken as God started to show me that I really wasn't all that in a bag of chips. And I specifically remember a moment in my first semester when I um, picked up the phone and I called my parents and I'd want to be a pastor all my life, right? And I picked up the phone and I told them, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I had realized that I had come to want that for all the wrong reasons. 
And I thought, like, man, if I become a pastor, people will look up to me and they'll respect me and I can show off my giftedness and just, and God's just going to use me in these awesome ways. And, and it was pride. I was a fool. I said, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I, and, and honestly, in that, I was, I was uh, completely sincere and I had no clue what I was going to, I didn't know what that meant. But I just remember, I, like for the first time, I was really reading God's Word and, and, and getting into it and learning. And, and people were pouring into me and God was gracious. And I started to fall in love with God's Word. I started seeing uh, how the Bible was actually changing my heart and it was changing my actions and, and my response. And, and, and because I was seeing how powerful God's Word was in my own life, in, in this, this passion started to grow like and I want to I see God use this book to change other people too. And, and I don't think that passion has ever gone away. That this book is powerful to change our lives. And I've experienced, man, I constantly need to keep coming back. There's so much work to be done in my heart and life. And the thing is, I just don't think I'm the only one who has some work to do. Anybody else have some work that still needs to be done? Okay, so I had to learn this the hard way, but I think this is a lesson for all of us, and it kind of elevates the importance of what we're about to read right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Father, I love that we get to do this. What a special thing that, that you have spoken to us in your word. And I pray that we are a church that loves this book. I pray that we're a church that when we come, there's an anticipation that, man, you might be working in us, and, and there might be something that I've got to change. That might be true today. God, would you stir our hearts, use your spirit, let your spirit use your word to change us to be more like Christ. We desire to be like you. Lord, I'm so thankful that you would use me in this special, incredible privilege. I don't deserve it. I don't even know why I get to be here, and yet the messenger is nothing. The message is everything. I pray that you are lifted up. I pray that people see you. I pray that we would be a church that would submit to you and a church that's hungry to listen. And God, if you want to say something, we're ready. And we want to respond in ways that are pleasing and honoring to you. That we would be a church that is not afraid to open up our Bibles and to listen and to live it out. 
So God, do a work here even now and get the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me, um, if I were to just give you a big idea of this text, uh, I think I could probably uh, say it as simply as this. Uh, people need to hear God's word, right? People need to hear God's word. But here's how I want to say it. If you're taking notes, note this. Uh, we need to hear the word of God if we're going to love Christ and live sent. That's what we're pursuing, right? This is what we're getting after, that I want to love Christ. I want my life. I want to I love him. I want to be devoted to him. I want to be more like him. I want him to be first. I want to consider who he is and worship him with my life. I want to love Christ, and then I, I want to get after this mission. I want, to, I want to be thinking about that every day this week. I'm, I am on mission. God has sent me here. I want to live that out. Here's the deal. If we're going to do that, if we're going to love Christ, and we're going to live sent, then we need to hear this, right? So let me give you um, three incentives for bold preaching. Three incentives for bold preaching. Let's first look at the catalyst. The catalyst is the presence and the coming of Christ. This is the thing that's going to get us going. Verse 1, Paul says, I charge you. I charge you. This is, you got to recognize that this is Paul at the end of his life, okay? And, and, and he is uh, writing to Timothy, one of kind of like his son in the faith and this protege of his. Timothy is a pastor. And so in many ways, this text is directed not just to Timothy, but to all pastors and to the church. And, and Paul is writing this while he's in prison in Rome, meaning he's waiting to be executed, this is probably around the year 65, 67 A.D., somewhere in there, right at the end of Paul's life, and he is about to be killed. And so these are basically his very last recorded words that we have. That's like, I, I've got one last thing to say. Just stresses the seriousness of this charge. Do you feel that? Here it is, the last thing I want to tell you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's the catalyst. The thing that is going to incite us to action and that elevates the importance of preaching is that everything that we do is done in the presence of God and He is watching. That's some accountability, right? That's an element of accountability for us that God is up there watching us, everything that we do. In fact, this is kind of like the feeling when, when you have a presentation at work and it's your time and you get your name called. That's, that's what he's talking about right here. You, you, when when, when the, uh, uh, this element of accountability, recognizing that we're in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, we instinctively act just a little bit different when it's time to give the presentation, but my boss walks in. Right? Now, when the, when the boss walks in, I, I, I sit up a little straighter, and, and, and I put my phone away, and I'm, I'm really going to pay attention at this point. Like, I don't want to be caught off guard, right? Because uh, there's some accountability here. That's what this text is saying. It's meant to be a warning for us that we can't be flippant about opening up God's Word. It's important that we accurately convey the message that God has spoken because he's here listening too. Uh, some of you don't know that I have a little brother. I have a younger brother. Uh, his name is Chris, and he lives in Columbus, Ohio. He's a Marine, and he's a firefighter. I love him. You can get along. But let's just say, uh, for example, um, that there was a point in time in our life where uh, we 
um, had it out. We were fighting, you know, but not that that ever happened, but let's just say that it did. And if I was to tell you um, a story about a time when we were fighting and to tell you about what he did and what he said, and he's not here to defend himself, it's completely different to tell the same story if he's sitting right there in the chair and he's actually present in the room. And i got to make sure that my story is accurate, right? I think this is important for us to remember when we come together here, God is here and He is listening. He is watching everything that is going on. And so because we're in the presence of God, man, that ought to, we ought to proceed with caution that every word that is spoken here accurately reflects what He said. And you should be wondering, like, I got to, that's a warning for me. But as you're sitting here, you ought to be listening to this and thinking, is that really what God said? Did I see that in the text? Check that. Make sure that's really what God said. We're doing this in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's actually not just a, uh, a negative warning. It's also a, a desire to please God. That, that we're looking up. That our goal is to glorify Him. And see, when we, when, when we boldly preach, we're looking up first and foremost. The catalyst must be vertical. It's got to start here. It can't be horizontal. Our first concern, our main concern, is not um, what will people think about us? What will Will, will they like this? Will they want to hear this? Are, 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 are they going to be entertained? Is this, is this going to draw a crowd? If, if, if we say this, if we, if we talk about this, if we go over this, are people going to come back? Or are they going to um, leave? And are they going to go find another? Our first concern can't be what people think. Our main concern and our focus has got to be what does God say? And what does God think? The catalyst that compels us to preach boldly is an audience of one. And our commitment as a church must be to please Christ and give him glory. Because here's what happens. If, if you don't start vertically, then preaching over time veers off course into uh, self-promoting and self-protective Motives and goals. Like, um, we're only going to uh, preach the stuff that makes us feel comfortable. We're just going to stick to the stuff that people like. Or, or um, it, what appeals to my soapbox issues and the things that I like to talk about. Or, or preaching in a way that just makes people feel better about themselves. Or, or, or that would draw a crowd and, and fill the seats. Or what's going to highlight my strengths and, and my giftedness. And what's going to produce the most compliments. And, and what's going to get the most likes on social media. And what's going to get the most amens. Amen? Amen? Hey, come on, help me, help me feel better about myself. Amen? Thank you. And then we end up um, avoiding and skipping over the hard stuff, the parts that we don't really want to deal with, the things that might be controversial and that might cause people to leave. And, and, and this, this is worry, like if I, if, I, if I preach this, people might be uh, offended. Or if I go to that text, this would be too convicting for me, and this might highlight my sin and my weaknesses, and I don't want to deal with that. And, and 
So, so here's the deal. Um, this is why we are committed to expositionally preaching through books of the Bible. Exposition means we're just leading out the message of the text. And our normal MO around here is that we just go verse by verse working through books of the Bible. Why? It's so that we can't skip over stuff. It's so that we can't avoid stuff. And, and God's going to bring things up that I'm telling you, I would never have picked to go over that today. I'm telling you, honestly, there are, there are, there are some weeks where I get into my office and, and I look ahead uh, for the, the next section of Scripture that we're supposed to cover, and I'm just like, oh, boy. Man, our, our church might be a little smaller after we preach this one. But to be a worshiping church means that our greatest concern is the glory of God. We're not going to be afraid of what men, what women might say. We're going to rightly fear him because the text says that he is the one who is to judge the living and the dead. Do you feel some severity to this warning then? That, that this is a good sobering reminder for us that Jesus is coming to judge. And first and foremost, that's a warning to pastors. Maybe you've heard this before. James chapter 3, I've got it for you on the screen. I want you to see this. This is a warning for us. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is a weighty responsibility. The, the, the expectations are high, and we've got to give an account to God. But listen, listen, you also are accountable for what you hear, and you need to hear this word. He says, I charge you by his appearing and by his kingdom. It's a reminder that King Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon. And how you live matters in light of Christ's return. We just got to be more concerned about God's kingdom than our own, defending ourselves, promoting ourselves. We're here for him. So the catalyst for preaching is the presence and the coming of Christ. But let's look at the second incentive. Here's, here's the command. Let's look at the command. Here it is, verse 2. Um, preach the word. That's it. That's the command. Sometimes the word um, in, in the Greek for preaching is the word euangelizo, where we get our word evangelize, and it just means to, to uh, proclaim or to preach the gospel, preach good news. But that's not the word that he uses here. Uh, the word he uses here is the word keruso, meaning to proclaim and proclaim as a herald. Now, um, we don't normally um, think about a herald. That's not something that we have in our culture anymore exactly. But, but when you think of a herald, I want you to picture that, that, that guy that was like the village town crier. The guy that was going to stand up in the middle of the town, in the middle of the vi village, and, and you could just see him unrolling his scroll, and he's going to proclaim what the king said. Hear ye, hear ye, by order of the king. That's the job here. Just, just tell him what the king said, and don't change the message. That's, that's the job. And you uh, don't stretch this analogy too far, but it would be like if you were put in charge of uh, managing some celebrity's Twitter account, that you would um, speak for them. 
It's not, not your thoughts. It's not your opinions. You're, you're representative. You're speaking for somebody else. And so he says, proclaim, herald it, speak. And what are we supposed to proclaim? What are we supposed to preach? He says, preach the word. I, I just love this imagery of a herald that gets to stand up in the, in the assembly of God's people and he gets to lift up and say, hey, 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 listen up, listen up. This is what the king says. That's what we're going for here. This is also why we, another reason we preach um, expositionally through uh, books of the Bible. I just hope that you know this, that I don't um, sit in my office every week thinking up things that I want to say or, or uh, a message that I feel like I have for you. And I came up with this, it's really cute and creative, and I thought it was going to be really cool. And then I flipped through pages of Scripture looking for verses to support my ideas or proof text my Arguments. It's not the way that we do it, okay? Expositional means we start with the Scripture. And we open up God's Word, and we're looking at it, and the message of the text is the message of the sermon. That's why we say, here's the big idea of the text this morning, because we want to know what God wants to say to us today. He is the authority. It's not about a messenger. It's about the message. I'm just telling you what he says, okay? You don't need a message from a man. We need a message from God. And he doesn't say to me, uh, preach your ideas or, or preach your thoughts on current events. Or, or, or preach your political opinions, or, or, or preach the latest insights from Forbes, or the current New York Times bestseller, or preach the hottest trends in culture. He says, preach the Word. That's what we need to hear. It's the Word. But what does Paul mean by that? I just, just stop for just a minute, because this could, you, know, you, you consider, um, what, what is the Word? Because when Paul's writing this, uh, they didn't have... Bibles like we have, uh, books with 66 different books all uh, collected together. In fact, some of the books hadn't even, most of them had been written, but not all of them had been written at this time. So what does he mean when he says preach the word? Here, here's what he's including. He's including all of the Old Testament, all scripture, all of the Old Testament, and the teaching of Jesus through his apostles. Get that? Which would include the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the epistles and the letters that we know as the New Testament today. He's meaning all of it. The entire thing that we know as our Bible, the whole thing. Preach the whole thing. It's the story of redemption. It is the good news of the Gospel that even though our sin made a mess of this perfect world that God created and He created it good, we messed it up and He's going to come and He is going to set all things Right, and that lost sinners who deserve his judgment and wrath, we can be saved and we can have eternal life through faith in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. He died in my place. And then the gospel grips my heart and I, I fall in love with him, this God because I am loved, that I can have a relationship with him and I can become more like him. And then the gospel lays claim on my life and I can live for him. I can live on mission and sharing the good news and making disciples of Christ and, and, and bringing him glory. This book is the word. And if we are going to love Christ and live sent, we need to hear this. He says, preach the word. Be 
ready, he says, in season and out of season. Um, there's no off season for preachers. Um, but what he means here is um, the, the word literally has the idea of an opportune time. What, he, what he's trying to say to us is this. Preach the word when it's convenient and when it's not. And I'm just going to tell you, there are some weeks where it would be a whole lot easier for me to just take the week off, phone it in, not feeling it. In fact, there's some Sundays that I, like, I'm ready. I feel prepared. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Then there are other weeks. By, by Saturday, I'm telling Carissa, like, baby, I just don't think I, I, I don't have it. I'm not, I, I don't know. Like, I just don't feel like it's there. I don't feel like it's, it's ready. But Paul is saying to us, it's not just when you feel like it, when you feel like you have something you're excited to say, or when you feel particularly fired up. It's all the time. Be ready to go. We can't be lazy about this. He's saying, be ready. It's that same anticipation, like when you get your name called for that presentation at work, or, or when it's your time to speak on that conference call, or it's that, that, that moment when, when you're about to jump out of an airplane when you're skydiving. It's that kind of anticipation. It's go time. we got to get after this. There's some urgency here because there's an urgency to the message. Man, I hope you sense this. I hope you feel this. I hope this is communicated loud and clear. The Bible is not boring. You need to hear what God says. And so as much as the preacher needs to come ready to bring it, you need to come ready to hear it. You, do, you, do you come, like when we come and gather together on Sunday morning, is there, is there just an urgency in your heart? Like, I, I, I want to listen to this. I want to obey. I need this. Be ready in season and out of season. Then he says, uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Uh, the word reprove there is, uh, really means to, to expose and uh, convict. Here's the deal. God wants us to boldly preach the Bible at harvest. Because there is sin that still needs to be dealt with here. And the problem is, we'd rather cover it up, hide it. We'd rather just keep it in the dark and not have to deal with it. But God's word brings our sin into the light and exposes it. Like, I wish this wasn't the case, but I think about it, and, and, and one of the reasons we're doing this is that probably just this week, there were sick and shameful thoughts going on in our heads. And selfish, prideful kind of rotten attitudes that we had and harmful words that we spoke and things that we did that we wish now we hadn't and things we didn't do that we knew we should have. And see, God's word shines a spotlight on our sinful hearts and brings us under conviction. 
to produce, the, the reason he's trying to do this is to, 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 to produce a godly sorrow in our hearts over this. That, that, I, that, I, that I hate this sin. I don't want this in my life. I feel the conviction of the Spirit. I want to get this out of my life. So he says, you're going to reprove. That's what that means. But also to uh, rebuke. God's Spirit uses His Word not only to bring us under conviction, but pastors can't be afraid to say exactly what God's Word says. Don't do that! Don't go there! That's wrong! Rebuke sin. Sin never works. It's never a better option. And it is not legalistic to call out sin and urge believers to obedience, okay? Like, we're not made right before God by what we do, but because we have been made right by the blood of Christ and we've received His righteousness, we now want to do what's right and stop sinning. And so God's Word's going to tell us that. And you got to know that God's no is for your protection, that he's trying to keep you from the destruction and the consequences of sin. And so, yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to come in here on a Sunday morning and, and the Spirit is going to use his word to bring you under conviction and it's going to tell you straight up, get that out of your life. It has no place in your life. We're going to reprove, we're going to rebuke, but I love this, this next word that he says is to, to exhort. I, I love this. this. This word actually means to encourage. And here's, here's the idea. Look up here. Look up here. Here's the idea. It, it means that I would come alongside of you and put my arm around you. And, and I'm, I'm going to walk. Let's, let's do this together, okay? I want to help you. I'm here. Let's take the next step together. You're doing great. I love you. Let's do this together. I want to be faithful to this as a pastor. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness. It's not because I've arrived and you haven't. I'm in solidarity, standing in solidarity with you before the cross. Like, we need the grace of God. But we want to grow together. We want to grow in our walk with Christ and become more like him. So we're going to exhort you and encourage you. And then he says to do it with complete patience and teaching. I just hope this is true of us at Harvest. We're in it for the long haul, okay? I know you've still got a lot of work on. So do I. So we're going to be patient. God's been so patient with us. We're going to keep preaching. Trusting that God's going to continue to do his work. So can I just say something to you for just a minute? Um, I have been, I have been asked to work hard at studying and preparing to preach uh, this book and to do it with passion and urgency because it is so important for our church to hear the Word of God. And if we're going to love Christ and live sent, then we need to hear it. And if, and if Paul was, was about to be executed, he's about to be martyred for his faith, and he knew it was coming, but with his last words, it was so important for him to command Timothy to carry on this task of preaching, then, then can I just ask, with as, much, with, with as much gentleness, but with as much urgency as well, because I love Christ and I love you. 
Will you prioritize being here every Sunday to be under the preaching of God's word? Will you do that? And will we, as a church, stay committed to and prioritize the bold preaching of God's word? Let's just make it normal, okay? We don't have to check our schedules to see where we're, we know where we're going to be on Sunday. Because we need this book if we're going to love Christ and live sin. Let me also um, give you this last incentive for bold preaching. Let's just look at the context real quick. The context is that people often don't want to listen. So he says, verse 3, it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're just going to turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the context for ministry. What Paul's saying is like, hey, man, if you haven't experienced this yet, just wait for it. It's coming. People don't want to listen. You're like, gee, thanks, Paul. He's got to work on his pep talk skills a little bit here. Uh, but, but if you were at the end of your life and you saw this, this is the context, uh, you would feel a little bit of urgency too, right? What he's, what he's trying to say to us is because of our sinful nature, it's actually natural for people to not want to listen to what God, their creator, says. As a pastor, I have experienced um, reading verses from the Bible out loud and literally hearing the response I don't like that. And I just want to say, what do we think is going to happen when there are a million other voices that people can turn to that will tell them what they want to hear? That's going to scratch the itch, right? People can find all sorts of talking heads and experts that are going to contradict and, and, and make the message of the Bible sound like it's just it's old-fashioned or it's, or, or it's ridiculous or even that it's uh, culturally dangerous and oppressive and, and sin's not really what it is and, and the Bible's just, God's just hateful in this. And then, then you get these messages from uh, entertainers and, 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 and uh, memes on social media and blogs and, and articles just promoting all of this self focus, self-empowerment, and, and, and that can even be packaged and made to sound like it's Christianity even when it's missing the gospel because people would rather be told what they want to hear. When this world refuses to listen to its creator, it just makes sense that um, the result is going to be chaos. Will you feel that? You see that? So he says, verse 5, As for you, though, always be sober-minded. When the people around you are listening to the lies and the deception and becoming irrational and losing their minds, you keep your mind on the truth. Man, is it important for us to be careful who we're listening to? We need God's word. So he says to Timothy, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
It's not going to be easy. In fact, it might get harder. But keep preaching the gospel. Keep letting people know that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. And keep boldly preaching the word. I want to stay faithful to this. And I want our church to be committed to this because we love God and we love his word. Amen. Father, I pray that you would make this true of us. Just reminded again what a, a special thing it is and a humbling thing. And so many times as we're getting ready to preach God's word and I realize my life doesn't look up, live up to this. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we thank you that you have, um, you've not just left us here all alone. You've given us your word to direct us. I pray that we would be a Bible church that loves to listen to you and prioritizes this. That this is important, that our church family is going to gather together to worship you, to lift high your name, to open up our Bibles and listen to you. And that we walk out of here ready to live it out and be obedient to you. Help us to be submissive. And in all of this, God, as we say every Sunday, I just pray that you get the glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.